Hello, and welcome to the Christ Church Cathedral Podcast. This is the sermon from our past Sunday, recorded live from the cathedral. We hope these words will really speak to your heart and mind. I speak to you today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Today's Gospel takes place during Jesus' last meal with his disciples. As you may remember if you celebrated Monday Thursday with us just a few weeks ago. The text is sandwiched between two predictions. In verses 21 through 30, right before our reading, Jesus predicts that Judas Iscariot will betray him. Judas, one of his friends, will deliver him into the hands of his enemies. And in verses 36 through 38, right after our reading, Jesus predicts that Simon Peter will deny him three times. In his moment of greatest need, Peter will pretend that he never knew him. And so betrayal and denial are the two bookends on either side of our gospel this morning. Not only does Jesus willingly face his death, but he does so in full knowledge that he will be abandoned by those closest to him. I think that makes what Jesus says in this reading today all the more powerful, all the more challenging. Jesus is not naive about what people can do to one another. But when faced with betrayal and denial, he doesn't dwell on the shortcomings, the failures, of his disciples, past or future. He knew his time on earth was running out, and so he took the opportunity to prepare them for the hours, days, and years to come. Jesus begins in this reading by speaking about his glorification. You may have noticed that he uses that word five times in just two short verses. Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. By speaking this way, Jesus emphasizes his relationship of intimacy with God the Father, a major theme in John's Gospel. The glorification of Jesus will bring glory to God, and in turn, God will glorify Jesus. But what does it mean that Jesus is glorified? And what does that have to do with this new commandment that his disciples love one another? Time and again, the Gospel of John uses the word glorification to refer to the crucifixion of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus is glorified. What the Romans and their allies intended as an instrument of shame and humiliation Jesus transformed. Jesus made it the source of his glory. Because the glory of Jesus is not the glory of self-promotion and power. The glory of Jesus is the glory of sacrificial love on behalf of others, on behalf of the world. 
And this, I think, is the connection between the glorification of Jesus and his new commandment, that his disciples love one another. The disciples were to love one another as Jesus had loved them. The love of Jesus was to serve as the model, the standard, the measuring stick by which the disciples measured their own love for one another. They were to love one another like Jesus loved them. And Jesus had shown them what this love looks like. Only a few verses earlier, Jesus humbled himself, taking the form of a common servant, washing the dirty and dusty feet of his disciples. This act of humble service foreshadowed the sacrificial death that he would die just hours later. In the small but intimate act of foot washing and in his death on the cross, Jesus demonstrated what love looked like. Not a cheap, sentimental love, but a love willing to bear the ultimate cost, a love too strong for even death to hold down. This is the type of love that Jesus was calling his disciples to practice, and he said so explicitly just a few chapters later in John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus' love for us is the model and the motivation for us to love one another. We love each other as he has loved us. Jesus commands this sort of selfless, sacrificial love even as he recognizes that Judas will betray him, Peter will deny him, and the rest of his disciples will abandon him. Which means that the people we are called to love will not always be easy to love. Our love will not always be reciprocated. And yet the love of Jesus, the command of Jesus, remains unchanged. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. You may wonder why John's gospel has Jesus spend so much time talking about how the disciples should relate to one another. Today's gospel is talking about the love within the church, about love between fellow Christians, fellow followers of Jesus. Today's gospel is a message of Christian unity, that Christians are to love one another, that the church is to be unified in love. That message may sound a bit narrow-minded and parochial when compared to what Jesus commands in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In those three Gospels, Jesus says that we are to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. In that context, it's clear that our neighbors are not just our fellow Christians. We are to treat everyone we encounter as our neighbor, especially those in need, regardless of what faith, if any, they confess. In Luke, when a lawyer asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan to demonstrate that we are to love our neighbor regardless of their religious or ethnic differences. 
But when Jesus gives the love command in John's gospel, he focuses on the love between Christians, on love within the church. Why is that? Jesus is preparing for death. He's giving his parting words to his disciples. Why put so much emphasis on Christian love, on Christian unity? The answer to that question, I think, can be found in the final verse of today's gospel. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus makes this point even more clearly a few chapters later in John 17. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In John's gospel, Jesus famously says, God so loved the world. Love between Christians and love for the world should not be seen as mutually exclusive. In fact, our love for one another is for the sake of the world. Jesus calls us to love one another so that we can model what kind of life is possible in Christ. The early church was quite a diverse group of people. It was a community of men and women, rich and poor, Jewish, Samaritan and Gentile, slave and free. Yet they confessed that they were all one in Christ, and they strove to live as equals in a world built on hierarchy. These early Christian communities, through their love for one another, sought to bear witness to the reconciling love of God to bear witness to God's vision of a new humanity, of all people living together as equally beloved children of God. The early church sought to embody God's intention for all people. They sought to embody and call forth a world where division, barriers, and prejudices were dissolved and broken down. This is what the church is, or at least should be, all about. The Catholic theologian Herbert McCabe once called the church the community which sacramentally foreshadows the life for which God has de destined humankind. To say it more simply, McCabe said the church was a living picture of the unity that God has in store for humanity. But let's not paint too rosy a picture. As we know, even Jesus was betrayed, denied, and abandoned by his closest friends. And the early church was not always a model of love and equality. The early Christians did not always treat each other with love, and social hierarchies often continued to persist, even in the church. There were plenty of factions and divisions in the early church. We just have to read Paul's letters to see that. And so it should be no surprise when we look around today and see that the church and in our era is far from unified. There are divisions within churches, divisions between churches, 
Christians betray and deny other Christians. Instead of love, Christians often treat each other with suspicion, hostility, or indifference. And though we may be tempted to shrug our shoulders and take this as a given, how can we confess our hope in the reconciling love of God, in a God who breaks down barriers of hatred and hostility, in a God who heals broken relationships, if we aren't troubled by the divisions within and between churches, if we don't pray and work for Christian unity, if we don't love one another. Not with a naive, sentimental love, and not with a love that ignores or excuses injustice, but with a selfless, sacrificial love, a love willing to accept betrayal and denial for the sake of the other, a love committed to reconciliation, a love like the love that Jesus offers us. In a world filled with hatred, division, and prejudice, God calls the church to bear witness to a different kind of life, to resist hatred, division, and prejudice, to embody and call forth a loving community, a diverse yet unified community rooted in God's love for us and for the world. And we must say, as Christians, we don't love one another so that we can form a unified front against the world. This is sometimes how people talk about Christian unity. They say that the world is against us and we are against the world, so the church should band together in opposition to the world. This, quite frankly, is a fortress mentality, and it's certainly not what Jesus had in mind. God loves the world and calls us to love the world. Our love for one another must be for the sake of the world. As we love one another the way Jesus loves us, we invite others to share in that love. Our love for one another must always point to the love that God has for the world made known in Jesus. We will always love each other imperfectly. We will never be completely free from betrayal and denial. But as we learn to love each other, despite our differences, we are offering up to the world, in the words of Herbert McCabe, a living picture of the unity that God has in store for humanity. Let it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Christ Church Cathedral. Audio editing and original theme by Eduardo Farias. We hope you join us again soon. Have a blessed day.